this is Tales of the Old Burying Ground. Stories inspired by the Dartmouth College Cemetery. I have only gone to one funeral in my life. My grandfather's. But my family has not been able to set up a physical marker of his passing yet. The traditional Korean burial procession is pending. My mom says she is looking for an opportunity to sync up my family members' busy schedules so that we can fly over to South Korea and bury his ashes together in his home village. I'm Josephine Ann Kim, and this episode is about experiencing space and thought in a Dartmouth College cemetery. There are a few entrances to it, but the cemetery is tucked between 53 commons and Thayer. The times I have visited, I have been surprised by what has come to mind. So join me now as we walk the grounds of the dead. The dead. What comes to mind? Good spirits or scary goals? But as I walk through the Dartmouth Cemetery now, I don't see anything spooky that reminds me of Jack the Ripper. Actually, quite the opposite. I see the names of everyday Joes like Frank Brown or prestigious figures like Eliezer Wheelock. All this to say, I think we can all agree that there's a distinction when we think of the dead versus a death that is personal. I wonder, how do humans relate to these spaces and ultimately give it meaning? Have you ever thought about where you want to be buried and how? Fun fact, cemeteries have not always been called cemeteries. Death as a concept shifted in the public imagination, not just once. Before the romantic movement in the 19th century, People call these places graveyards. You know, the creepy lots filled with abandoned bones and eroding tombstones. Think of all the TV shows around Halloween time. During the Romantic movement, the idea of death itself took on a positive spin. It became less feared and associated with nostalgia and romanticism. The word cemetery comes from the Latin word coematarium, which means to rest or sleep. Less intimidating, right? Of course, there were other factors pushing this change. Around the same time, there was a growing urban land shortage. Many people began to think it was wasteful to reserve perfectly useful space for dead things, which were just gonna continue to rot. This combination of factors brought about the rural cemetery movement in 1831. Jacob Bigelow was the first to propose the idea of beautifying the landscape around graveyards so that the area could double as a nature park for the public. In his mind, he thought cemeteries could be a relaxing spot to reflect and educate future generations. Bigelow created Mount Auburn Cemetery in Cambridge, Massachusetts, the first in the United States to be founded. When the Hanover Cemetery Association heard news of this, they quickly followed in his path. The philosophies of death manifest themselves physically. We can see examples of this in the Dartmouth Cemetery with the abundance of descriptive and ornate tombstones. But in the later decades, after the Civil War and the American Industrial Revolution, 
tombstones in the United States generally became more simplistic. Deaths were two every day, too frequently occurring. Death is not a sedentary idea either. Instead, it keeps changing with the coming and going of generations, national movements, and international events like war. No wonder, walking through cemeteries sometimes feels like time travel. A completely different set of perspectives on life and death has been preserved into stone. I can't be buried here in this specific cemetery, but what kind of landscape would I want for my burial site? I see over there, there is a natural ravine, and over there, some man-made terraces. The idea of being on higher ground, even in death, seems nice, especially because I see a ton of tree trunks and branches have fallen into the ravine, and nobody wants to be buried twice. Ever since I was a kid, I thought it'd be picturesque to be buried at the base of a tree. I think I saw that a lot in the picture books I read. But now I know that tree roots can grow over your tombstone and actually make it disappear. You can see this in the Dartmouth Cemetery. I'm standing in front of one now and this poor headstone is completely illegible. Instead, I think being buried in the center of a cul-de-sac-like area surrounded by trees might create a similar effect without the same consequence. Looking around, I can see that there are many natural corners of these sorts. Now I'm standing in front of the headstone of Charles H. Hitchcock. He was born in 1836 and died in 1919. His headstone is really unique. It's basically a boulder. Perfect actually because he was apparently a geology professor here at Dartmouth. I think out of the entire cemetery, that boulder headstone is my favorite. Especially because nowadays, many cemeteries are very uniform. Headstones are in perfectly straight lines. I mean, the headstones in the Dartmouth Cemetery are also in straight lines, but they're constantly interrupted by trees, roots, grassy slopes, pine cones, which will someday grow into another bunch of trees. And like I mentioned before, you don't want to get tangled up in those roots. In the future, I wonder if it will become a fad again to carve your career into your headstone. If you were a famous singer, you could have a stone stereo sound box or something. Another thing I noticed walking around the cemetery is that most of the buried are grouped into family lots or paired up with their spouse. Some lots are fenced in with stone blocks making a family island of sorts. I think this is one of the important distinguishers in the Dartmouth Cemetery. You and your family can be grouped together in a corner made by Mother Nature. Or, if your lot is on flat ground shared with others, you can create your own boundary lines with stones or little rocks. I think these boundaries make it easier to remember where someone is located, and it imposes social status and identity, even in death. The diverse terrain, where the ground is on multiple levels, also adds to this effect. It's kind of like you have to journey into the forest and navigate through all these lines humans create in order to visit someone of the past. I think having a space like this set apart, like a park, really adds to the atmosphere of reflection and education that Bigelow hoped for.
But to be honest, I'm still having a hard time deciding where I'd like to be buried and how. Some questions that I keep thinking about are, should I be buried according to American custom or traditional Korean custom? Or should I go with whatever is most convenient? How important is it to me versus my family or those who come after me many generations later? It'd be nice to have my ashes buried with those of my family members. Or, because my life often feels stuck between two land masses, I wouldn't mind my ashes being thrown into the ocean. I trust my family will know what best sums up my life and what I cared about the most. Having roamed around the grounds of the cemetery, I'm starting to recognize that my burial is not really my burial. Rather, I think it is more for the living than for those who have passed on. This is Josephine Ann Kim signing off. Thank you. Tales of the Old Burying Ground is funded by the Dartmouth College 250th Celebration. Executive produced by Ilana Grellard and Colleen Goodhue. With original music by Bill Gezzi. <laughs>